new legislation to deter illegal activities relating to cybercrime and misuse of information. A new Cybercrimes Act allows police to prosecute people over what they post on social media. We understand that this is very tightly linked to the cybercrime law. Cybercrimes Act. The Cybercrime Act. Cybercrimes Act. Cybercrime Act. Cybercrimes Act. Cybercrimes Act. And a well-known case is Maxence Mello. He's the founder of Jami Forums, a website for whistleblowers. He's been prosecuted under the 2015 Cybercrimes Act for stories that expose cases of alleged corruption involving companies close to the government. In 2005, Tanzania's ruling party, CCM, won over 80% of the votes in the general election. In 2010, CCM's popularity dropped nearly 20% resulting in the party's worst showing since Tanzania's first general election in 1995. This caused CCM to start scrambling for solutions. And one solution was a tighter grip on the media. Because over the past decade, Tanzania's media had exposed the rampant corruption that CCM officials were engaging in. And Jami Forums was the most successful at doing so. So in 2014, a year before the next election, Max began hearing rumors about a Jami Forums law, a law designed to prevent citizens and members of the media from exposing corruption or criticizing the government. In 2014, that's when they said they are coming up with a Jami Forums law. A few days later, they said it's not a Jami Forums law, it's a, a Cybercrimes Act. We had to do some kind of advocacy. We went to the parliament, we met several parliamentarians. Um, Parliamentarians, especially from the ruling party, uh, kept repeating that they're going to pass that law so that they can use it against us, against Jami Forms. In 2015, Tanzania's National Assembly passed that law. They called it the Tanzania Cybercrimes Act of 2015. The Cybercrimes Act is extremely broad, essentially encompassing every type of crime that occurs online, including data espionage, online harassment, intellectual property theft, and the distribution of child pornography. But the problematic part, the part where people were referring to as the Jami Forums Law when they talked to Max in 2014, is found in Section 16 of the Act. Section 16 of the Cybercrimes Act says that anyone who publishes false, deceptive, misleading, or inaccurate information with the intent to defame, threaten, abuse, insult, or mislead the public is subject to a fine of over $2,000 and a three to 10 year prison sentence. Now part four of the act and sections 31 and 32 specifically, talk about how this law will be enforced. And it gives the police a large amount of power to search, seize and compel electronic data during investigations. People in Tanzania and around the world realized how problematic these parts of the Cybercrimes Act were. And Max warned the government and President Kikwete about the ramifications once it was passed. We tried to meet him with President Kikwete. I personally met him in 2015. He said, Max, look, the law can be amended. We have to test the law to make sure that it's okay. As you guys are complaining, like it might be a bad law. Then... I know I will not be in power, but someone who will be in power, they will amend the law if it's a bad law. And it didn't take long to see that it was a bad law. In December 2016, Max was arrested and charged under the Cybercrimes Act for not complying with Section 32 
when he refused to disclose the user data of individuals who were being investigated under Section 16 after they whistleblew government corruption. And President Kikwete was wrong, because despite the international criticism and the malicious prosecution of Max, the law was obviously never changed. In fact, it's been expanded on. Because now it's used in conjunction with other laws, such as the 2015 Statistics Act and the incredibly sweeping 2018 Electronic and Postal Communications Regulations. And then other countries like Kenya, Uganda, and Rwanda have now enacted similar legislation. And Max, his legal battles that started in 2016, less than a year after he warned President Kikwete how dangerous the Cyber Crimes Act could be, those legal battles are still playing out as he's in court weekly and has faced nearly four years of significant travel restrictions. And in that 2015 election, after the passage of the Cyber Crimes Act, CCM's popularity dropped even more, and for the first time ever, was below 60%. The 2020 election looks like it will be even tighter, likely wiping out any hope of the government lessening their crackdown on dissent. Meaning that the legacy of Tanzania's once proud, independent media is now solely reliant on people like Jami Forums, who are willing to stand up against an increasingly authoritarian government. This is Whistleblower, the story of Maxence Mello and Jami Forums. Maxence Mello. He's the founder of Jami Forums, a website for whistleblowers. I think the first thing I thought was like, this man is brave, right? Those people who used to be with you, once they're in power, they wanted to also push you back. Tanzania's president, John Magafule, has a zero tolerance policy for any criticism of him or his government. We started getting letters from authorities demanding for user data for platform. So in 2008, in February, I got arrested and I was alleged to be a terrorist. What is happening now is freedom of speech is being criminalized. There are things that probably as humans, can't, we can't control, and there are things that we can control, but policing the internet, I don't think it's a good thing. It's not at all. That's the ultimate freedom that we have, and I think it's something to cherish. Thanks for coming back again. This is episode four, and we're going to be focusing on the different laws and regulations that the Tanzanian government has used to stifle any dissent or criticism in the past five years. If you're just joining us, I strongly recommend going back and listening to the first few episodes, or maybe at least episode one. But your call, and I think you'll find this interesting either way. I want to start by taking a step back and discuss what happened under the previous administration and President Kikwete. Like I talked about last episode, Tanzania had serious corruption issues, and news outlets were starting to expose them around the turn of the year between 2005 and 2006. And Jami was at the forefront of this, having just come onto the scene in 2006. And Jami was this new type of media. I mean, it's just a forum where people can go anonymously and whistleblow on officials. And the government doesn't know how to react to this because they can't go silence these people because they have no idea who they are. 
So what happens? They go after the provider, they go after the website. And in 2010, the president calls out Jami and labels them an enemy of the state. The government tries to discredit the information there, but it doesn't slow Jami down and actually surge to become one of the most popular social media websites in Tanzania. And I'm not talking about like Tanzania-based companies. The only ones that are above Jami forums were Facebook and Twitter. Jami was and still is absolutely huge in Tanzania. And the government can't figure out how to shake the light that Jami has shown on them and their backdoor dealings. So around this time, Max starts hearing about a law. And since then it became tough, and they say they're coming up with a law to counter such people with such platforms. So for almost an entire year, Max tries to get a copy of this law, tries to investigate it and give his input. And then he finally gets to see it, but it's only 24 hours before it passes. And it's important to look at how the law passed. Yeah, so it was passed in the Certificate of Agents. Uh, there were less than 40 members of parliament in the parliament, and we have about 300 members of parliament, but less than 40. And still it was passed, because it was a must to make sure that it, it gets passed. And even though we tried to push back, and uh, Mr. Tunduliso tried his best to, like, we need to change several sections, we are going to criminalize the things which were not supposed to be criminalized, it got passed as the way it was presented. So it was the same. We got a copy of the bill 24 hours before it was tabled in the parliament. Of course, we still uh, did analyze it and shared our own views. They were not taken into consideration. So it got passed under the certificate of urgency. Within three hours, it became a law. So I'll give you a very brief description of how the Tanzanian government structure works. They have a parliament that's essentially made up of two entities. It's the National Assembly and then the president. And the National Assembly is the entity that writes and votes on the laws, and it's comprised of 393 members. And Max said that on April 1st, 2015, when the Cybercrimes Act passed, there were only 40 members present. Now we can theorize all day as to why such a low turnout, but for whatever the reason, that seems pretty alarming. Also, many reports state that it was passed in the middle of the night. So you have this bill pretty much discussed in complete secrecy, provided to the public only 24 hours before the vote is set. And then only about 10% of the National Assembly even shows up to vote for it. But it passes. And it's the law. And it subjects every person in that country to fines and prison and gives the police sweeping and vague powers to enforce it. And it doesn't take long for the police to start enforcing it either. It was officially signed into law in spring 2015, and by February 2016, Max is already getting letters demanding user information under the Cybercrimes Act. So what the police were claiming is that a Jami Forms user violated Section 16 of the Cybercrimes Act by publishing inaccurate information on the internet to insult someone or to mislead the public. And they were using their power under Section 32 which gives the police power to compel disclosure of certain data during an investigation. When Jami refused to comply with that order, they were charged under Section 22-2, which has a minimum sentence of $1,300 or one year in jail. So when Max was finally arrested on December 13, 2016, he was charged with two counts under Section 22-2. 
And here's a government attorney explaining the arrests. Everybody is free to communicate through any communication media. But there are laws governing that sector and those forums. Whoever manages the forums is supposed to abide by the laws or the mother laws of the United Republic of Tanzania. The police force and any law enforcement agent under the law is entitled to get the information of such person if the right of few individuals are curtailed within, within that uh, social media. So with this respect, the suspect has been neglecting to abide by the law of orders of the law enforcement organs. Max and Jami immediately challenged the arrest on a few different grounds. First, they argued that the police did not go through the correct process. The court said section 32 is constitutional because it provides an avenue for a service, I mean, for a police officer who requested certain information to a service provider, if the service provider denied the, I mean, denied to provide information, police were obliged to come to court to seek for a court, uh, you know, agency, not to prosecute the service provider. So it's like, uh, so it's like, uh, for, for me, uh, a mere interpretation, the case, I mean, the criminal case will end because they still have an avenue to come to, 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 to the court to seek for evidence of the court, whether they can disclose such information and not to prosecute service provider. That was one of Max's attorneys, and he was saying that the police should have essentially gone to court in order to get in order to compel. And that would have given Jami a chance to make their second argument, that the Cybercrimes Act violated Article 18 of the Tanzanian Constitution, the freedom of expression. You see, in the Constitution, the people of Tanzania are given the freedom of opinion and expression of ideas, along with the freedom to communicate with protection from interference. And it's pretty obvious to see how the Cybercrimes Act would conflict with Article 18. Remember, the Cybercrimes Act criminalizes false, deceptive, or inaccurate information made with the intent to defame or mislead the public. And the Constitution guarantees freedom of opinion and expression of ideas. But who gets to decide what is an opinion and what is misleading? And who can determine the difference between an idea and something inaccurate? It simply gives the government the ability to say that anything is incorrect and therefore illegal. And your opinion isn't allowed anymore unless it's shared by the administration. So on June 1st, 2018, and yes, that's about 17 months after the arrest, Jami finally got one of these cases dismissed. But it wasn't based on either of those arguments. It was thrown out because the government could not even articulate the crime Max had committed. And interestingly, only one of the cases under the Cyber Crimes Act was thrown out. The other was actually upheld in February 2019, and that case is still pending, along with the third charge that I've referenced but haven't really addressed yet. That third charge was under Section 79C of the 2010 Electronic and Postal Communications Act and it was for management of a domain not registered in Tanzania. I think I mentioned this on one of the first two episodes, but Jami Forms is a .com website and not a .tz website. So its server is actually based in the United States. They don't want you to use .com. I don't want you to use .tz because they are the ones who are registering it. So that once they have something and you're not taking it down, they decided to shut it off. 
the case was Max hasn't registered .tz domain. And when he came into court, he said, no, Max registered .tz domain since 2009. So they changed the case that they did not register and use. So they amended the charge into use. But again, if you visit jamieforms.co.tz, it will redirect you to jamieforms.com to know what the word use means. So we are still in court. That charge was also upheld in February 2019, and Max remains in limbo on both of those. Like we said, if he's found guilty, he could face significant jail time. And he's not the only journalist to be targeted by the government. In July 2019, journalist Eric Cabandera was arrested for organized crime charges and spent seven months in jail before the charges were dropped. In August 2019, journalist Joseph Gende was arrested for violating the Cybercrimes Act. Tito Magote, a human rights activist, was arrested in December 2019. And then most disturbingly, journalist Azori Gwanda has been missing since November 2017. Not all of these journalists and not all of the government's attention is on online publications. In the last episode, I introduced you briefly to a man named Simon Makina. He's the founder of a newspaper called Mauio. And interestingly, he's also part of the Jami team. Simon has been a contributor since 2006 and is now a senior editor and advisor. And he also runs the Tanzania Journalist Alliance, a nonprofit which helps train local journalists. Now, Mauio, Simon's newspaper, was first shut down in January 2016. Yeah, the newspaper was digested by the government just because it was alleged uh, that we incited people and the, the, the government says that we are trying to uh, to push people to go against the government, which was actually not, not true. That was closely followed by Simon being arrested for sedition. He was held in prison for 24 hours and it took another week before he even appeared in court. And that criminal case from... January 2016 has actually still not been resolved. Simon also went to court to appeal the newspaper ban. Then uh, uh, we went to court. The high court said uh, uh, we were not given chance to uh, to reply. And the high court said the government decision was not uh, was not proper and unconstitutional. So I don't remember the date, but uh, we started publishing again on, uh, after a year. So it took a year for Moeo to get up and running again, even though the court said that the ban was unconstitutional. And that only lasted for about five months. Uh, yeah, yes. And then it was banned again for two years because uh, the government said we wrote a story uh, allegedly pointing out two former president involving in dubious deals, mining dubious deals. Actually, we didn't do that. We didn't say that. And the story could it was not saying that even a line or a word. Simon went to court again. And again, the court said the ban was unconstitutional for the same reasons. You see, the government didn't really care if what they were doing wouldn't hold up long term. By shutting the newspaper down and making them go through this court system, the government squeezed them financially. We haven't published yet because uh, we, we, we don't have capital because... Uh, I was forced to, to close down the office. I was forced, forced to, to lay off reporters, editors, and all other supporting staff. Mm-hmm. So I closed down the, the, the media 
uh, the media house for that period then until now. And what the government used to justify these bans was, at first, the 1976 Newspaper Act. But under that act, they had to prove that Maoyo was publishing incitement. And that's a pretty high bar to reach. So during that year-long ban in 2016, Tanzania replaced the Newspaper Act with the Media Services Bill. And that bill took away independent oversight of the media and replaced it with a government-approved accreditation board. This allowed the government to ban Maoyo on a much lower standard, just saying that what they published jeopardized national security and public safety. Now, we don't need to go into the specific details about what was published, but know that these bans were both overturned by the courts, both universally criticized by international organizations, and both, at least on their face to me, absolutely ridiculous and heavy-handed. And as you can imagine, Maoyo wasn't the only newspaper that's endured this. In 2017, there were three other newspapers that were banned. And in 2019, the government imposed a one-week ban on The Citizen, the country's largest media outlet. And this ban extended from the print edition to the online edition and even the company's Twitter account. And I'll actually go into some of the details on this one because they're pretty straightforward and underline some very important points. The suspension order cited two incidents. The first was from almost a year prior, when the citizen ran a story about U.S. Senator Bob Menendez asking the U.S. to support civil liberties in Tanzania amid what he said was an erosion of democracy. Tanzania said that the citizen publishing this violated the Media Services Act, as it contained falsehoods with seditious intent. The article that got more attention, though, dealt simply with Tanzania's currency falling. Pome Magufuli's administration seems to have a problem with a sister publication of the uh, Daily News, uh, Daily Nation, that is under the Nation Media Group, and it has suspended the citizen uh, for a week for story. Now, basically, this story by the citizen on February the 23rd uh, talked about the falling value of the Tanzanian shilling, uh, which declined compared to three years ago. But this, according to Patrick Kipa. Pangula, the registrar of newspapers, uh, he said that the reportage was not uh, following the procedure and financial standards set by the Bank of Tanzania. And the financial procedures and standards that are in place and that the citizen didn't follow is simply that no one is allowed to report on currency rates. Only the Bank of Tanzania can release information on the currency. And this gets to a bigger issue, and it's that in order to suppress the media, investigative reporting, and any dissent, the government has enacted laws and regulations that simply make it a crime to disagree with them. The most notorious example is the 2015 Statistics Act. Originally, the law made it a crime to publish false official statistics. In 2018, amendments expanded it, making it a crime that carried a minimum three-year prison sentence to question the accuracy of official statistics. Now, Tanzania, to its credit, responded to the incredible backlash and in 2019 made it legal for people to collect and disseminate independent statistics. But just think about that for a second. The government had the power to make it illegal to question their statistics or disseminate any statistic that they themselves didn't produce. This can mean education rates, illness numbers, crime stats, or election results. 
The administration had a monopoly on information, making any news outlet nothing more than a tool for them to control their citizens. And while the Statistics Act was luckily walked back a bit, that is a rare exception. A number of regulations, officially called the 2018 Electronic and Postal Communications Regulations, have been put in place to specifically stamp out dissent. So the, these new online content regulations, they're the worst uh, than the Cybercrimes Act. Because the Cybercrimes Act, there are ways you can uh, go around that act, but the online content regulations, they make sure that they even make it strict to get information. There are several journalists who uh, had YouTube channels and they have been arrested. They have arrested a couple of journalists who, who uh, had the YouTube accounts. And these all focus on online communications. Because that's still where the main threat is for governments. If a reporter writes a critical article, it's not hard for them to deal with that person. Similarly, if a politician or public figure criticizes them publicly, they can bring charges or threats against them. But if people start posting things online and sharing it, and they're anonymous or they're not in Tanzania, how does the government deal with that? You see, the online platforms are where these authoritarian governments are the most vulnerable. I mean, just think about the Arab Spring, what sparked that, and the governments toppled in that region. And governments are vulnerable to the internet because of two things. The first is just the unlimited amount of information that can come in. And the only way to combat this is to censor in some way. But a country like Tanzania has difficulties with this. They don't have the infrastructure to monitor everything on the internet or the influence to make tech companies comply to their demands. So they get creative with their laws. We talked about their first effort. Max and Jami got wrapped up in it and it was requiring all websites to be registered in Tanzania rather than abroad. Mm-hmm. At one point, they were forcing me to change the name jamieforms to uh, .com to jamieforms.co.tz because in 2013, there was a scandal which involved some guys within the military, not the military itself. And they went to the registrar in Tanzania and said, block jamieforms. And the registrar said, these guys are registered in the U.S., so it's not easy to shut them down. The newer way that the administration is trying to limit the amount of information is through what they're calling a blogger tax. Tanzania's president, John Magufuli, is at it again. This time, the clampdown is on internet users. New internet regulations in the country now requires bloggers to first register and pay a $930 annual fee before they can publish content. But even after providing this documentation, authorities still reserve the right to revoke a permit if a site publishes content that causes annoyance, threatens harm or evil, encourages or incites crimes or jeopardizes national security or public health and safety. It's not just bloggers affected by the provisions, but online radio stations, online streaming platforms, online forums, social media users, and internet cafes. And the idea of the blogger tax isn't really to raise money or even to directly keep dissent off the internet. Because as that clip said, the government can still and will still take your website down for anything resembling dissent. No, the reason for that tax is to limit the number of people that the government needs to monitor. 
it's not about the fee. We can pay the fee, but we don't think one should pay a fee for having a YouTube channel which has got nothing to do with news. And we don't think this is right. But the government isn't even stopping there. They're extending the fees not just to people who run YouTube channels, blogs, or forums, but anyone who uses social media. And it's just to keep people from getting online. And Tanzania also is trying to, they are looking for the ways that uh, they can uh, do the social media tax. So you thought that the $900 is something that, uh, big? No, they're coming up with the social media tax. They put more tax on the people who are using social media. They feel like they can get more money from that. So it's, and of course, it's not more money. I think it's making that a few people are getting online. So uh, more trouble coming. And there might be a lot more trouble ahead. Because these medial measures may be unnecessary very soon. You see, there is at least one authoritarian country that has both the resources and the influence to censor its citizens on a mass scale. And that country just so happens to be a huge financial investor in Tanzania. China is offering a new vision of the internet, one which combines sweeping content curbs with uncompromising data controls. The idea is called cyber sovereignty, and it's already spreading around the world. The crux of the Chinese internet model is based around the nation state, setting your own rules for your own citizens that can't be circumvented by the internet. So very simply, they want to control what sort of content is, is hosted on the internet that's available to Chinese users, and, and they want absolute control over that content. So if they decide, for instance, that they don't want any references to the Tiananmen Massacre of 1989, then they will scrub that out of every, every website and every app within the country that Chinese consumers can see. And this controlled, moderated version of the internet is spreading, especially across Southeast Asia. Vietnam's controversial version of the Chinese internet model went into effect in 2019. It demands the data of Vietnamese users is kept in the country. Indonesia, Southeast Asia's largest economy, already requires data to be stored locally. The Philippines has stepped up what critics call a media crackdown. And one of the latest to buy into the rationale is Thailand, which passed a cybersecurity bill modeled on China's. And I know Tanzania or any African country wasn't mentioned there, but what were the laws or the warning signs that were highlighted in those Southeast Asian countries? Indonesia requires data to be locally stored, similar to requiring a .tz domain. The Philippines has enacted a media crackdown that includes sweeping cyber libel or cyber sedition laws. And then Thailand, which just passed a cybersecurity law. And the first country mentioned might be the most alarming, Vietnam, requiring user data to be collected and then stored locally. And that ties into the second reason that the internet makes authoritarian governments so vulnerable, and that's anonymity. And to combat the anonymity, that the internet provides, we've seen the most intense regulations in Tanzania. They now require all websites to collect certain user data, and like in Vietnam, to store that data within the country for 12 months and to give that data to the government whenever they want. 
Now, sometimes that user data won't give the authorities enough. Say they only get an IP address and that IP address leads them to a public computer. Well, to solve that, Tanzania requires all internet cafes to install video cameras so that the police can identify who used a specific computer at a specific time. So they can demand the user data from the website and then track down any person who criticized the government online. Under the online content regulations, they mentioned the forums, social media platforms, and whoever runs content that is being consumed by most of the Tanzanians. They must, one, they must collect user data for a period of 12 months. And after you collect such information, you should share with the authorities whenever they, uh, they need them. And bloggers in Tanzania cannot collect user data anyway. They don't know how even to collect it. So, And like Max said, a lot of these websites are just run by amateurs. And they don't know how to collect user data. And the cafes don't necessarily have the money to install cameras everywhere. So they are implementing these regulations, maybe out of ignorance. When it comes to people who are coming up with the laws, one, I know they don't know, they don't know how we do in terms of technology behind the platforms and two they know that probably you guys might be able to collect such user information they may tell you like come with whatever tools but we need to know who is who behind the content but they don't know if there's that that kind of mechanism they're just forcing you to create that mechanism so i know they don't know the technology we're using and they are probably outdated in terms of what can be done and what what can't be done and why But even if it's just ignorance, the result is simply that there are less people online who can share their ideas, either because they're not able to or they're afraid of the repercussions. Because maybe they can't pay the blogger fee or they can't collect data how the government demands, so they just shut down. And then there are the ones who comply with all these things, but now there's no anonymity. The government sees a post, they can demand the user data from the company, and then bam, they go arrest the person. And this may seem far-fetched, especially to someone in the U.S., but it's not. Dennis Wilson was arrested in August at his workplace. And they didn't tell me anything about what was my case and, uh, and what was the problem I did. He's an engineer who's never been a member of a political party. He was accused of insulting the president in a group message in what he says was legitimate political debate. Police kept him in prison for 17 days. I think everyone with a Tanzanian had the right to speak for the betterment of our nation. If you don't speak, the, the one on powers will not understand what actually you need as a citizen. When Mr. Wilson's case came to court, the charges were dropped. But if found guilty, he could have faced years in prison or a large fine. In June of 2018, Jami realized how serious of a threat these regulations were, as the government continued to demand user data for certain contributors who had been critical of the government on Jami forums. They want you to collect user data and share. We don't think this is right. And we are being given 12 hours to comply. We already had an issue with the authorities giving us 12 hours from 5 p.m. to 5 a.m. If you don't give such information, we'll be under arrest. We felt like 12 hours is too short. At least 24 hours or 48 uh, could be the best. The police only gave Jami 12 hours to comply with the order, or else they would come in and arrest Max and other employees. 
Now, this was likely to prevent Jami from going to the courts and challenging the regulation and its enforcement. You see, this order was given on a Friday night after the courts had closed. So Max and the Jami team, knowing that they would face some criticism for it, made the decision to take the website down. Then felt like, no, this is not supposed to be a crime. With I personally said no. I spoke to my team and I said, guys, we better shut down the service and not operate until authorities listen to us. So we are trying to push back and tell them, like, this is not the right practice. The website was just down to give them time to go to court and challenge that order. And they did that, and that case is still pending, but in the meantime, they at least can't be arrested for not complying with it. So I guess if there is one bright spot in this, it's that the courts have been a relatively reliable entity in terms of upholding the freedom of expression. It hasn't been perfect, but any refuge given to Max, Jami, or Simon has come through the courts. The courts dismissed one of the charges against Max, ruled that both times the Mauio newspaper was banned were unconstitutional, and then in 2018 intervened to keep Jami employees from being arrested. But this all still takes a toll. Even though Jami has been able to continue its operations and its employees have, for the most part, avoided arrest, this is just a nagging issue that won't go away. And it's expensive. Remember, Simon mentioned that being shut down for the year just drained his newspaper financially, to the point where they haven't even been able to resume. And Jami is facing a similar threat. They've had to put a significant amount of money and time into litigation in order to protect themselves and challenge these laws. They've had to step up cybersecurity measures to avoid the various attacks they faced. And they've lost significant advertisers due to pressure from the government. There was no adverts. The government institutions was, uh, they pulled off their, their, their adverts on the, on, the, on the forum. But, you know, when the government is uh, against you, and then you have uh, all these uh, big companies supporting you, so they, they, don't, they, don't, they, don't, they don't feel comfortable. They just pull it off. And even with them being an extremely popular website and receiving some assistance from international groups, they've still had to cut off staff and lay off writers. Um, we, at one point, we decided to have a team of journalists. We had a, a team of reporters at each region, and we had three investigative reporters and two data journalists. It was expensive mm-hmm. to run, and when we started getting this trouble with the police, we couldn't keep the team. It was becoming expensive, so we rely on citizens' info- information. And the result of all of this, the Cyber Crimes Act, the regulations, the fees, the constant user data demands and arrest orders, the Statistics Act and the newspaper suspensions. The result is that there is no freedom of expression in Tanzania. It's just that simple. There's no ability to investigate, there's no ability to report, and there's an increasing reluctance for normal citizens to even voice their opinions. Because the risk or even the actual cost is just too much to overcome. And this is the reason why Max and the entire team at Jami, from Mike to Asha to Simon, to every reporter, engineer, editor, must be recognized. Because they just have not given in to this pressure, and they have not given up hope that this is just a phase. That if they are willing to fight back to stand up for the people of Tanzania and their ability to live in truth, that maybe things will get better. Because this is, as I've said, relatively new in Tanzania. 
Simon ran Malio since 2008, and that newspaper was always focused on exposing corruption. And the Newspaper Act was on the books already. It was passed in 1976. But it wasn't until 2016 that Simon started having issues. Yeah, there was nothing like that. There was no any issues about that. But then we, we kept on writing investigative uh, articles, and we, we got nothing from the government. There was no intimidation. There was no nothing. And unfortunately, it's only picked up since 2016. So let's now focus on media freedom. As the world marks Press Freedom Day, East African journalists faced mounting hostility. Media experts warn of declines in media freedom at the regional level and reveal a level of hostility towards the media and contraction of civic space openly encouraged by leaders. Over the past two years, Magufuli has also led what critics say is a broad assault on human rights, including freedom of expression. His government has suspended the publication of a number of newspapers that criticized him and even detained and interrogated researchers from the Committee to Protect Journalists. It's attempted to silence critical bloggers and members of the opposition. It's also gone forwards with plans to prevent pregnant teenagers from attending school and even threatened a polling agency that reported his approval ratings were dropping. Now, all of this has drawn international condemnation of a country that for decades has been one of the freest in East Africa. Welcome back. Lobby group Human Rights Watch has accused Tanzania's government of bulldozing and abusing the media. The body says journalists in the country work in an atmosphere of fear. It said in a statement on Wednesday that renowned journalist Eric Kabendera has been arrested without trial since Monday in the latest example of media crackdowns and the authorities' troubling use of citizenship in investigations to harass government critics and repress free expression. The HRW called on the government to immediately release Kabendera or charge him with a legally recognizable crime. We begin our broadcast in Tanzania, where President John Magufuli often makes waves for refusing to accept criticism of himself and his policies. His impulsive style has earned him the nickname, the bulldozer. Magufuli came into office in 2015, and critics say since then, his government has squeezed press freedoms through harsh media laws and intimidation. Now, this is nothing secret. I'm not the first person to break what is going on in Tanzania. You just heard all those news reports. The new administration has gotten plenty of pressure from the international press about this. And the Committee to Protect Journalists, who I highlighted in a special edition episode, has really tried to get the message out there and even sent journalists to Tanzania to investigate the situation. And their experience in Tanzania was very difficult as they were detained and interrogated by authorities. And they've talked all about this. So the message is getting out there, but it's just not working because the screws are just being tightened. And Max and Jami just can't keep fighting this battle forever, not alone. And their allies, unfortunately, are being picked off one by one. I mentioned at the end of last episode that many media companies have decided to give in to the government and provide user data or self-censor in order to avoid the financial and legal punishments that the government will dole out. But this isn't just a problem in Tanzania, and it's not just small-time bloggers or businesses that are giving in. In 2018, reports started emerging that Google was helping China develop a censored search engine. And as of March 2019, that project was still ongoing. And this follows a 2016 decision by Google to provide Pakistan 
with a sensor-friendly search engine. And this idea to censor the internet is spreading all over. Kenya, Rwanda, and Uganda all have their versions of the Cybercrime Act. And it's even spreading to countries that we wouldn't consider authoritarian at all. Of, of course, most of African countries now, they are coming up with the Cybercrime Act, similar to Tanzania. Yeah. And the, the neighboring countries, yeah, like DRC, they say they want to also to have these online quantity regulations like in Tanzania. I don't know where this kind of fear coming from, but there are things that probably as humans can't we can't control, mm-hmm. and there are things that we can control. But policing the internet, I don't think it's a good thing. It's not at all. That's the ultimate freedom that we have, and I think it's something to cherish. At the end of 2019, Singapore passed the Protection from Online Falsehoods and Manipulations Act. It essentially does what Article 16 of the Cybercrimes Act does. It criminalizes whatever the government deems false or hateful. Now, unlike what happened in Tanzania, this law was transparent the whole time and publicly debated. There's really no issue with how the government passed the law. Now, it was controversial, and a journalist who criticized the law and warned about its overreach was even accused of spreading fake news by the government. But the very first uses of that law proved the journalist right. They were Facebook posts. And the government forced the writers of those Facebook posts to include a rebuttal from the government at the top of the post, which included a screenshot of the original post and the word false stamped across it in big red letters. No, I'm not kidding. And this is the lightest punishment for the crime. If people refused to comply with these demands by the government, they could face hefty fines and up to five years in prison. Now, Facebook and Google opposed the bill, but seemed to be complying with its enforcement. Here in the U.S., we've heard prominent politicians such as Senator Elizabeth Warren call for similar online fake news laws. And two senators even introduced an online hate speech law. Like Max said, there's this odd temptation to police what people not just do, but what they say on the internet. And even when the examples of these laws prove their critics right and expose the immense opportunity for abuse. Now, luckily, many countries have continued to reject them, but there are other entities that could step up to protect free speech. You see, when the private companies step up against these regulations, like Jami has, then the governments are put into a tough position. I mentioned that in 2016, Google helped Pakistan with their internet censoring. But in 2020, Google, Twitter, and Facebook all pushed back against Pakistan's new online censorship laws and threatened to pull their service. And this caused Pakistan to revisit these laws. So maybe more companies will follow in the footsteps of Jami and Max. Because they could have done what Google did back in 2016, they could have complied with the government, helped keep information from the people, and aided in the prosecution of their users. This certainly would have been a more lucrative decision. It would have resulted in less arrests, less days in court, less letters sent to judges requiring basic travel rights. But for Max and Asha and Mike and Simon and the rest of that Jami team, that was never really a thought. They didn't convene a board and look at profits and numbers and do a risk assessments. They just did what was right. I feel proud that at least we give citizens a platform where they can express themselves. Mm-hmm. Up to this very moment, we have compromised in any way. I, I know there is a price for that, that we are paying a huge price. 
But I feel good that if you mention anything about the corruption scandals in Tanzania and even the money that has been returned to the government, billions of money, I thank God that I was part of that kind of movement to reclaim our own money. So I feel like we have done something for the citizens. But at least I still also feel good that people are now free to talk in Tanzania because of the me forums. People used, they knew that there are other platforms, but there are things that people couldn't write. But at, at the moment, at least people can write. They have this kind of confidence. At least we built that confidence. So I feel good that at least we have helped people to get access to information. Thank you for listening again. Next episode will be the last, and I'll just be wrapping up with a discussion about Jami and why I think they are just so special and important right now. Please continue sharing this podcast with anyone and everyone. I really appreciate the support and I'll be back in a couple months.